starting at verse 15, Matthew chapter 18 on page 823. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe me. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, Matthew's Gospel keeps rolling along. Uh, it's been hard to know in this series where to sort of draw the lines each week, how much we can bite off. Today's scripture is, is some kind of extension of thought, maybe the flip side even to what we were reading about last week, about, about being children of God. Uh, Jesus now speaks about when others don't treat us as children of God, uh, when they fall into the temptation of sin. And treat us poorly. What are we to do when, when others, and, and others in the church that is, 
sin against us. And I don't think I need to put a case example to you to kind of set that scene. Uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you've probably felt this. And if you've been a Christian for a long period of time, then you've probably felt this many times and in many kinds of ways. If not, you've seen the secular version of it, surely, in the world outside. Well, it happens in the church too. Christians sometimes sin against each other and hurt one another. Jesus doesn't need to give a case example here either. If you notice, so what he speaks to here is just how we are to respond when it does happen, uh, almost as if to assume it will happen. And we are to respond to it when it happens very personally, he says here. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Can you imagine, though, that, that that was the first thing we did when someone sinned against us? That we would, like, confront the person directly and personally, gently and, and privately confront them about it. Not, not whinge or complain or gossip or slander to someone else in the church about the person, nor to others, of course, outside the church or in some other church somewhere, not, not even to the pastor in the church uh, even or, or, or even to our spouse, but, but to the person who actually sinned against us directly, discreetly and, and in restorative brotherly love. That's what Jesus is describing here. So nor, therefore, to walk away from that person, to cold shoulder them, cancel them, avoid them here on out, but to approach them from a courageous place somehow of, of brotherly love and, and try to restore them. But I reckon if we could somehow sort of catalogue and, and review this across the church and across church history and think back through our own lives too on this score, well, we'd probably wonder what Jesus was on to suggest something so radical as this. But it is there, isn't it? It's written there in black and white, isn't it, what he just said there? It's your brother. It's your brother. Go to him quietly. Go to him with a heart to restore. What do you think church and, and church hurt would look like if we could learn to obey this instruction here from Jesus? We don't want to be vindictive or, or to be drawn into the fight and be drawn into the sin uh, ourselves, but nor should we walk away or, or, or just cancel. That too would be disobedient of our Lord disobedient of us to our Lord. If it doesn't work, uh, well, that's what we probably would assume, isn't it? When we go privately and discreetly to try to restore that brother or sister, if that doesn't work, well, verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Not to put the person on trial, so to speak, or put them to the sword, I don't think, but, but just to have another pair or two of wise ears with you. Third parties, we should think. You know, neutrals, uh, I think, would be ideal. And again, 
with the same purpose and the same heart to restore. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Gentiles and tax collectors, of course, we should still reach out to with the gospel, shouldn't we? Uh, They need the gospel of Jesus. Jesus himself reached out to our tax collector right here, Matthew. That was back in chapter 9 and verse 9. This instruction here will affect Christian fellowship together. But the point here is not to harden our heart. And again, the point here at this stage doesn't seem to be some legal trial, but just allowing the church now to to beware uh, that someone who has seemed to be a brother or a sister, of course, as we sort of unpack this in our minds, someone who has seemed to be a brother or sister is actually impenitent in sin. And still we must think so that the church can now know that for the purpose and the collective heart now to have that sinner convicted of their sin towards repentance of that sin and for the purpose so as to be restored. And verse 18 offers comfort to the church in this and verse 19 and 20 encourages prayer as the church goes about this process. Uh, seeking to convict uh, with the heart to restore that sinner. Verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We thought about this concept a couple of chapters back, if you remember, in chapter 16, when when Jesus said it, uh, it was a few weeks ago, that these are actually what's called perfect passives here in this text. These things shall already be bound or loosed in heaven before you and I even begin. Uh, Whether repentance flows from the person or not, whether they will be restored through this process or not, will, will be tied to something deeper that's going on in their walk of faith with God. And hence, of course, the need for our prayer Uh, Verse 19, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We thought about this earlier too, way back in chapter 7. Jesus is not saying there that that the Father's going to be like like, like a magic genie, uh, but with unlimited wishes to grant for, for whatever we should desire. I don't think that can be the case because, of course, the things asked for have to be in line with Jesus' name if you read it right through to verse 20 as it unfolds. And and the context here too, of course, is that he's been talking about the desire that we should have to see brothers and sisters restored when they have sinned and that we, therefore, would have hearts to forgive. And there will be confusion about this. And, and heartache about this and grief about this when, when I guess all of this doesn't unfold. But not because our prayers on it haven't been heard, but as I say, because something deeper is going on with that person in terms of heaven. So the prayer, therefore, is also for us as the church community to help us discern where things are astray because the brother or sister is even more so out of step with God. That's more important than whether he's out of step with you or I. Our part in this as as Jesus' church, to pray 
and obey his words here, his very hard words here, to to truly desire through those things and, and pursue the restoration of sinners. Even if you feel like only the two or three of you can see the issue, verse 20, he says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. More to worry, though, if you're only the one, is it possible you are just needlessly taking offence? Is it possibly you who needs to consider uh, and maybe even repent? Thinking through these words here, everyone concerned in church hurt might check and think through, am I honouring Jesus in what I think and say and do about this? Conflict in church is, is never easy. But Jesus' teaching here is is that we handle it courageously and in true brotherly love, which will always require, on on both sides of the conflict and both parts of the equation, are always going to require what Jesus spoke to in our scripture last week, if you recall, what it is to be children. Humility. We are going to need humility. We're going to need to be able to see others too as equally precious children of God. And all of us together as one, utterly dependent on God. There's a bit of a divine claim woven in here by Jesus. He does this all the time. We've thought about it through the series. And I think this one's worth noting because in verse 19, Jesus declares that if two of us agree on our prayers around this, it will be done for us by the Father. It will be done for us by the Father for He goes on to say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. The Father will answer us because indeed Jesus will be with us. Behold, said Matthew in chapter 1 and verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Immanuel, which means God with us. If we call ourselves Christian, brothers and sisters, we think of ourselves as Jesus' church, then we must uphold and obey what Jesus teaches. And yes, even here in Matthew 18. And whether it unfolds this way or that, God will bless our efforts to reconcile in his church. But it is very hard to do this, isn't it? Well, I don't know about you. At least if I think back over my own journey, you'd think it was almost impossible to do what Jesus so simply says here. Because I haven't always done this when others have sinned against me. Personally, discreetly, and then uh, just with a, with a trustworthy one or two others, and again to, to the person directly, and only then, if need be, to, to speak of it at all in the wider church. If I haven't just plain avoided the person, then I have rarely caught the order of these steps Jesus gives here when someone has sinned against me and caused me pain. 
shame on me. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, and teach me your ways. These are difficult ways right here. There's a lot of little reasons behind that, I suppose, as to why uh, we, we do uh, act like that. All kinds of reasons that we might have neglected this teaching here. Maybe we didn't know about it. Maybe we didn't want the trouble or the attention or, or the conflict. You know, We'd rather avoid. But there's a couple of big reasons that we might fail on this call. One is that we might not think the other person will repent if we go to them like this. Jesus has just spoken to that in in the first part of our text there. There are times when that will be the case. They won't repent. But that is out of our hands. That is something to do with their walk with God. The other big reason is what Jesus then goes on to next. Sometimes the reason we don't want to seek out those who've wronged us is that we don't really want to forgive them and have them restored. And so having worked through the steps in the first part there for when this, uh, how this should go and, and even acknowledging that it might not always go well, we, we now have to contend with what happens when it does go well, when the brother or sister does repent. And maybe this is what we're sometimes resisting deep down. If we go to them lovingly like this, and if they should acknowledge their sin against us, and, and if they should repent of that sin against us, well, well, what then? We forgive them. We forgive them. We forgive them. That's what happens then. This next part of Jesus' teaching here, it really hurts because we don't have forgiveness written properly yet on our hearts. Truth be told, his words here actually come to a very generous scenario Thanks, Peter. Uh, Peter came up and said to him, verse 21, Lord, how often will will my brother sin against me and, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Sometimes, as I say, I, I don't even want to forgive someone even once. Thank you, Peter. Seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but... Seventy-seven times. The parable that he goes on with here, it cuts in even more as he, as he gets to the problem behind all this. Yes, we are children of God. So good to think through that last week, wasn't it? We are brothers and sisters of Jesus and we're brothers and sisters with, with every other disciple of his. But, but we are brothers and sisters like so only because we are first beggars before God. We are beggars before God, before we are anything else. Seeking out others to to gently restore them and forgive them of their sin, that, that was actually the heart of God for all of us, that that allowed us to become children of his. 
The similar language that he uses here in this parable between these two cases that are in the parable, the one servant before God, forgiven of everything, and then the other servant coming before him, it's devastating how the wording here matches as, as Jesus' parable rolls through. How is it that we want one thing from God for our sin but have such a cold heart for others? How is that so? Or do we just too easily forget about our, our own cold, hard reality that we ourselves are but poor beggars before God? And how could we so easily forget that truth? Didn't this Jesus die for our sin to be properly forgiven? Jesus isn't content to let us take on only the title of brother or sister, children of God. He's insisting that we also stay mindful of our roots, that we are hopelessly, hopelessly wrecked by sin ourselves, but for his sweet gospel getting in. His parable here and the idea of debt actually is a really helpful way to capture that gospel because uh, we have all sinned, not just against each other, but against God. And the debt there is, is infinite. When he says here 10,000 talents, the, the 10,000 actually signifies an uncountable number. But for literal extremists, if you want to insist, a talent, if you've got a footnote there, a talent was the equivalent of 20 years' wages. Think about that number. 20 years of your wages, all of your earnings in 20 years. And now multiply it by 10,000. 200,000 years of your wages before you even touch it, of course, for yourself. We don't have this concept anymore of being sold to recover debts, so, so put it into our kind of language today, trying to pay off debts. Maybe, uh, you know... Uh, Factor in your living costs or whatever, however you go about this, before you can even pay anything back. How does a million years sound realistically, probably generously, a million years to pay off your debt? Our sin, you see, is against an infinite God. An infinite God. We don't think that we've really done that much wrong, is what Jesus says here, but we did it, you see, against an infinite God who created us and, and gave us everything we have, mind you. People who don't get this think like the man in, in verse 26b there. Have patience with me. I'll repay it. I'm sorry, friend. You do not understand. All we can actually do is beg for total Total and utter mercy from God. What we need is what God so generously does. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, his mercy for him, the master of that servant released him. You see that word? Released him and forgave the debt. A million year debt, if we're playing this literally in our terms today, erased. Erased. 
wiped, like, like some software glitch in the accounts. That is what the forgiveness of God is to you and I when we repent of our sin and come to Jesus. We have nothing now on our score. We have nothing to pay back on a debt we never could have paid. Welcome to the gospel of Jesus. He has paid it all. And yet here's the kicker. We then turn around and somehow have zero grace for much, much, much lesser debts. A hundred denarii in the parable, three months' wages, one eight hundred thousandth of the debt forgiven us, if, if you want to insist on taking all this literally. When someone in the church sins against us, it is nothing in the scheme of all this. Jesus, please forgive us this sin, our zero ability to find grace. The numbers are so far out of whack. Uh, Maybe we do take too much offence too easily at others. When we forget that we are beggars before God, we won't understand what it is to be brothers and sisters in his church. When we forget that we are beggars before God, we just won't understand properly what it is to be brothers and sisters. When we remember, though, that we are beggars before God, and in the the infinite mercy in in God's forgiveness of, of our sin against him, well, then we will be postured just right to be forgiving of one another. And we will forgive them properly at that point from the depths of our heart. And so as we try to put those two parts of of our text together today, uh, and as we come to the end of our term uh, and our latest dip into this gospel according to this tax collector, Matthew, Jesus, Jesus seems to be trying to draw us deeper and deeper into his gospel call, his, his basic gospel call. He's trying to bring us in. Do you remember that call from, from way back in chapter 4 and verse 17? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus seems to want that repentance to run pretty deep and then to flow pretty wide. Even when we think we've got ears to hear and and eyes to see all of Jesus and and all of his gospel, he, he somehow reaches up and draws us down a bit deeper and deeper still. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one on this, uh, that I haven't always done this this brotherly thing right here that he speaks through here. But but if my heart hasn't yet come into the first truth he speaks through here, to want to seek out and restore and forgive, then, then I haven't yet truly grasped the sheer depth of my own sin. There's no other way to put these two things together from Jesus today. If my heart hasn't come into the first bit of wanting to seek and restore and forgive my brother or sister, then I haven't yet grasped the sheer depth of my own sin. And yet Jesus' words here make me want to. I want to. I know he's right. 
It's just hard to do. But I know he's right and he makes me want to do this. And so he says this to have these words rework me and surely I must give in. What do you think? about, about how, Verse 35 hits pretty hard, doesn't it? So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Scary much? That's what he said back in chapter 6, actually. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. That sounds like we can kind of bargain our way into God's forgiveness by forgiving others, but that can't be right. We find our way into God's forgiveness through repenting of our sin in the name of the Lord Jesus. It sounds too that on the other flip side of that, that that we could lose our forgiveness from God if we're not forgiving enough, but But can that be right? God is not fickle or or, or such like, like you and me, is he? Rather, this actually makes perfect sense if if you think it through kind of the other way around. For all whom God forgives, he will reshape to be more forgiving like him as we sit under his word. And let the Holy Spirit reshape and recalibrate our hearts, humble our hearts to be able to do just like this. So if you're anything like me and and if you feel the conviction here in Jesus' words around this and if you surrender to him to, to be reshaped like this, then you should rejoice. Our debt is paid. We are free. Teach us now, Lord, to be more like thee. Through all of this, of course, if you step back a little bit from from, from the the hurt right at the centre of this, through all of this, God is shaping what? A community, a family, a people for himself. And, And in that community, in his church, we must Therefore seek and restore and forgive. Just as he has done for us, so we should now do for one another. The only question is, will we be courageous and and listen to this very, very hard call? I'm reminded by this scripture today that that we had a workshop together on on church hurt uh, as one of our teaching days, do you recall? Uh, I'm reminded too that we have a member's covenant in this church from Colossians chapter 3 that, uh, that has this in it where we promise to seek out this call to forgive and correct and love and restore. I'm reminded that we also have a, a set of church culture points we just spoke through recently that, that also speak to this brotherly commitment in this church. I'm reminded that we have a statement of faith 
a mission statement and a vision, all of which leave us with no other choice but to follow what Jesus says here. But I'm reminded by this scripture of how very hard this is to actually do. So how about we pray and ask for God's help as we pursue this great call. Heavenly Father, we always thank you for your word to us and we thank you for this one today, as difficult as it is. We pray that you would take this though and work it into our hearts. Reshape our hearts, please, Father, to be like this, that we would have a heart for restoration with our brothers and sisters, a heart to forgive our brothers and sisters. And as you work these truths into us, Father, work in the second part here, that we would truly catch the depth of our own sin against you. And through these things, that you would keep us in a good, a healthy posture of, of knowing that we are beggars before you ourselves. We are sinners whom you have released. And we thank you again for this beautiful gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to die for our sin, to pay this debt we never could have paid. Please give us all the more now ears to hear and eyes to see your gospel truth and what it means to now live under your way, that we would know you and we would walk in your ways. This is what we ask for and it's in your name that we pray. Teach us what you teach us here and have us walk your way. Amen and amen and amen.